so uh, Martin and Brett here again from the RPS conference. Hello. And, yeah, uh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> and um, an old friend of mine is here, uh, Annette Jeans, who used to work at UCL in London, now works independently. I had the great pleasure of working with her at the London Nightingale Hospital. But here she's got an abstract about infection prevention in the film industry because she worked on films and I can't tell you the name of the film but I saw her name in the credits of one I went to see and I also had the pleasure of a day on it but it was just such an interesting experience I thought we'd talk to you about it so thanks very much for agreeing to have a chat well thanks for inviting me how did you end up working in the film industry well having spent months with you Martin at the anything would be better I was looking forward to a really nice holiday doing nothing and I just happened to be um, answering the phone when someone said, would you like to work on a film? And I thought, actually, I'm quite bored sitting here doing nothing. Why not? And they said, it's only for a few weeks and you don't have to do very much. And I thought, that sounds like my kind of job. So, so yes, and it ended up being about 10 months doing all sorts of weird things that I'd never imagined I would ever do but um, it was it was an experience yeah, yeah. well Brett was going to ask you a name drop which we now know you can't do yeah. so yeah. Yeah. We'll see it's that. a good thing I asked normally on this podcast we don't screen and let the well we actually whim it so we don't actually know what we're going to ask no, at that time true. anyway we but, but we, I did drop the you know I might ask you a name drop but, but we can't yeah. but we're, um, still I guess you, you mentioned then you've seen some fascinating things or did the things you never thought you would think you would do. What were some of those things that you were involved with that, you know, you thought, wow. I mean, the day-to-day job, what was that? But then yeah. what, what are the extra things? The, well, the day-to-day job on a film, from my perspective, was that we had to be there from the very beginning of the day to the very end of the day. So that would start at about half past six, seven o'clock in the morning. Actors are up there early, are they? Yeah, has to be up early. And... Because people, there is, there are, in the film you only see a few actors and you don't probably notice what's going on around. So they're building the set, they're getting the set ready, they're setting up the cameras, the sound and various other things. And it's about making sure all of those people are safe within a COVID pandemic. So you had to be there to make sure that they understood what the risks were and to reassure them because a lot of the job was about reassuring them that this is a fragile virus it's easy to clean away you've got to be close to people all all sorts of things so it was about being there in case they were nervous or frightened and at the very beginning they were very nervous and frightened and then at the end so you were there while they were filming and so you had to be, often you would be on the set itself, just on the edge, and you saw me with my little, with my little watch timer, saying, yes. right, that you've had 10 minutes more soft, so off you go for a, you know, air the place out, etc. And then at the end of the day, to make sure that the people who were clearing everything away and cleaning it, so in this particular film there were lots of bits of scenery which were hand-painted, and so you couldn't just clean them. We were using a certain number of wipes. Am I allowed to say your wipes? No. And, um, and you couldn't use that. So you had to, we had to think of something else. So we would use hydrogen peroxide vaporization overnight to clean various very dark really? areas in this wow. film. Which, okay. um, so, and so initially, it's a, a, with infection control, I think it's with everything. You put a lot of energy into the education, the reassurance and the enabling. 
and in the end they're telling you what to do so it's um, mm-hmm. so in the end it got much easier because they knew what to do and they could anticipate things but at the beginning it was you were there for a very very long day some yeah. days I'd be there half six and I'd leave at ten o'clock at night yeah. some days you worked all the way through the night as you as you saw yeah. And you were in locations. Some days, well, I did. I never saw the script, and I never knew where I was going to be. So some days you would find yourself halfway up the country. At one point, we we're in Liverpool. Um, next, next, we'd be down in an aerodrome somewhere. So it was, it was more interesting than sitting in an office in New Sickly. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, actually, it sounds like you did manage to achieve behaviour change because people were doing what they should be doing by the by the end of it, and that's something possibly. I never achieved in the hospital, <laughs> and you managed it in ten weeks. But you know, so it's interesting that why do you think they actually did change their behaviours? Because they felt this is what's keeping us safe and employed. So therefore, there's a what's in it for me. There is, there is that element of it, but I think my approach was different because I'm so old and decrepit now. I, you can change because you've learned so much. And one of the things I realised, I knew nothing about this industry. I didn't know how they worked. I had to be there with them and ask them what they were doing and what they needed from me. So it started the other way around, rather than me going in the same, these are the rules, this is what you've got to do. It was about walking into, for example, the plaster workshop. There is plaster everywhere. And the rule was that everybody had to wear an FFP2 mask and they've never worn a mask in the whole of their plastering career. So I went into this very dusty, plaster workshop to explain I'm sorry but you've got to stand six feet apart which often they Mm. needed three people together to do the job yeah Um, and so it made no sense to them and it was about listening from their perspective how we could adapt and what we could do so it was it was very different to the way I had worked before. I know, and, I and think, actually, this yeah. is the right way, isn't it? Though, because yeah. I'm think I'm here thinking I haven't worked in critical care. Yeah, I'm not a dialysis nurse. Yeah, yeah, I'll go in and say this is what you need to do. Mm. Whereas, in fact, what you did was right. You go in and say I don't know anything about this. Show me what you do, and then we'll work our way around it. And that's a much better way to go about things, isn't it? And would probably work much better in a hospital as well. Well, the, the, one of the things I realised, because in the, you probably saw when you came that day, they, would, they trusted me. So, and that if there were things I didn't understand, I would ask them. So I would say, this doesn't make any sense to me. Explain why you are doing this. Mm. Not that you're wrong. It's just I don't understand how we can fit the system to protect you. And so they trusted me. And sometimes there were things, so for example, wearing a mask when you're 20 feet up a ladder somewhere and you're leaning down to somebody and they're saying, it's dripping off my nose and and it's dripping out of the mask and I'm hitting the person below me who's steadying the ladder when I'm there with them, saying, yeah, that really is interesting. And then you go back and think, you know, COVID transmission, is it likely to be a problem here? And looking at, you know, at that time, we didn't know what the transmissibility was going to be. And so you you would go through it with them and explain the rationale which normally I wouldn't have done that too much. I, you know, this is the answer. That's what the papers say. There weren't any papers written on. No, what you, no. So we, it was <laughs> no you could write one now, of course. But. Yeah, and um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what people will do, not just in hospitals but outside health, acute healthcare, because it was clear 
because there were many facets to this job. So you had to do with transport, you had to do with construction, you had to do with all sorts of areas where the risks to some of those people were quite considerable, not necessarily COVID risks, but the... And there were, there's a lot that infection control could do without labelling it as something which is authoritarian or didactic. It was about actually understanding what the real risks were. With And I, I felt quite honoured because really COVID in terms of cleaning is relatively straightforward. It was the confusion was about the PPE and, and what you did about that. And that was many of us didn't really understand what we should be doing anyway so some of us were as confused as the people who were trying to <laughs> yeah. do it so, um, so yeah what, so what, what was the time so just refresh me I know you two worked together in uh, Nightingale what, so when did you start what, what, so I'm just trying to picture where is this in the pandemic oh, is this 2020 2020 yeah so we not unstaffable 4,000 yeah. bed a night a year in London and, yeah. uh, yeah, and it was as yeah. soon as that ended you were, you were actually back working yeah. again so yeah. it's pretty early on, no vaccine. Yeah, no, so, so, really. no, so early on. And, and um, how long yeah, yeah. did you do this for? Ten so, months. Ten months. Okay. Mm. And, and do, you, do you think that some of the things that you're involved with now would hold true in the sense that um, those, some of those practices might still be there? I know, we, you know, not just for COVID, but for other things we might be concerned about. Do you think that there's been a bit of sustainability in what you've put in, or is that difficult because you're literally going in and just helping a particular group of people on a movie or set at a particular time? My understanding is that it has had the work that was done, I was not the only infection control mm-hmm. expert there, there were lots of other people, because um, each production had their, their own people. My understanding it has had an effect, so if I can give you an example of ventilation, in ventilation I would go in and they would have this very tight set with all sorts of um, items around which are totally uncleanable because they just made them by hand and you know painted them with watercolors etc and there would be you know in, in some scenes there were rats in cages there were also it was it was very interesting but um, but actually it's an infection control nightmare when you walk in <laughs> yeah. and then and then you realize that what can happen is they have the facility to lift a side of the room away, take the mm-hmm. ceiling off the room, turn the ventilation on and off um, in a way that you wouldn't be able to do in a healthcare facility so that they can increase the ventilation enormously just by designing the set so that they can take it to pieces. Mm, and that's, yeah. that's so we, in what they said was, yes, we can, in the future we will do that, we will, although it will be a tight set with very tight camera angles, we can remove bits of it and pull it apart. So it was, so that's an example of how they, as the film went on, the way they constructed it was different and that continues today. Now, was it Nigel yesterday at IPS was when he was talking about construction? Nigel Edwards, yeah. Nigel was talking about construction of, of hospitals. Yeah, and how and, inflexible they are. And how inflexible they are. Yeah. And then talked about the fact that maybe we think about where, where does plumbing come in and out and where does the cabling come in and out and walls because we might need that ability to take a wall out or put a wall in um, to be able to change and adapt to whatever it is that we don't know we're going to deal with in five, ten years to time. So it's interesting that, the, you know, that... that that, that's an example of something that in real life in another sector that you can do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a very temporary thing, though, filming, isn't it? And that's what I've got out of it. It's all there, and then 20 minutes later, none of it is there. You know, and it's, it's, what you see on screen isn't quite... 
it's all canvas and painted and so they, they are more able to do that but it's interesting the way they're now thinking I need to do this so therefore we'll just design that in from the beginning whereas we don't do that in healthcare yes but the the other thing is what they were because the their our aim is associated with patients patient safety looking after mm. the staff theirs is to produce a film and they have a finite budget often and making a film is very expensive so mm. they utilize their time really really well so mm. every day was tightly packed so in one studio we might be filming five different parts of you know might doing a close-up of a hand would be doing something else in another corner so it's about utilizing that space effectively but being safe at the same time so it was they this flexibility and this ability to turn over things quickly required an enormous number of people to do that mm. so when you um when you look at some of the riggers and some of the other people waiting at the side, they were waiting, ready to change all the lighting, and you, and you know, people ready to change the scenery immediately. Yeah, that you don't have access to that in healthcare. No, I it's, mean the cost is people's time, and they recognise that. Yeah. So they factor it in. Whereas in healthcare, we don't factor in the cost of people's time. It's just that costs more money, even though actually it's going to take a lot more people. The, the, the you know the number of nurses aspect yeah, doesn't yeah. really come into it. It's, yeah. it's, it's the cost. But when we when we went, we went to Liverpool to do various scenes there, and they built sets in a day. They would put up hand wash stations and they would just say we need this 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 and this and we have the right people to do it and they would you know it would be you know I'd say actually we need this and this and this or you need to change that around entirely it would just be done it was it was a different sort of setup it was it was and also if they were non-compliant and they were not absolutely essential for the film they would no longer be on the film 10 minutes later they would okay. be gone right so whereas in healthcare we have certain rules <laughs> well, we wouldn't have many healthcare workers left we'll be that's part of the problem yeah so it's um, you know it's not it's non-compliance is not dealt with in that way so it was it was a different environment but then you still have to be kind to these people because these people are working in you know, it's quite stressful for them. They're quite frightened because we did have people acquiring COVID when they went home and various other places. So you've you've got to be this calming influence who appears to have everything under control. When you really you've got you know it's you know, it sounded like uh, once, once you can fake it, you've cracked it. Yeah, that's it. my career. Yeah, I have. So far, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing is that it's a completely different sphere, as you said. You go in and you don't know anything, but you're going to apply principles. So it's about looking actually. Recognizing the skills of a good IPC person, isn't it? And yeah. the negotiation and all the rest of it. I mean, you know, if other people are thinking of, oh, actually, I might be able to do work in a completely different sphere, but use my skills, hey, you know, could you just comment on the skills that we have that enable us to work across different things that we might have never even think we would work across? I, d- I don't know that I have a complete answer for you. I can only give it from my perspective, Martin, and that is that there's a willingness to listen and it's a willingness to recognise you don't know everything. I mean, my, my one of my habits when I was an ordinary standard fetch control nurse is as the telephone call comes in about some weird virus somewhere, I would say, could you just hold the call a minute? I've just got something coming in on the other line and I'd quickly look it up in a book. Yes. Um, but the... <laughs> It's, it's about recognising your limitations, but actually being ready to engage with people and understand their perspective. Because it may be, I mean, I had the same argument with them about, not argument, we had the same discussion about 
the vaccine you know should I be vaccinated and it's you can say obviously you know there's lots of you know it's going to do this the point is they are asking you the question and they honestly want you to listen to why they are fearful why they don't believe it and that's in I found that quite interesting so I think you have to be interested and willing to learn you might not know all the answers but there's usually somebody you phone a friend or you 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 figure it out because it is those basic principles of transmission and you know there's a lot of stuff about air and also also, you know I watch various things coming through and and update people but it's I think you have to have a certain amount of humility I think if you go in and you are um, you know absolutely sure of everything you're going to say and you're just bossing people about and making them do things which are not useful realistic or really associated with risk because that's the way people do things so it's about (laughs) being willing to innovate um, and and actually maybe ask people what they have you got a solution for this you know have you got something that might work it's um which i I always find that they come up with much more interesting things than I have. Yeah, well, they know, they, they know that what they need to do and they know their, their area, don't they? But I, I think you made a really good point about really listening. Yeah. And I'm not sure I've always really listened. I might say, what do you think? And, you know, and they would say, well, I can't do it because... And I've sort of almost switched off. Whereas if you really do listen to them, then you can get some idea of their perspective and then you might have a bit more chance of actually saying, OK, I, I really get your point of view now. So therefore, this is what we made. But I think you made the point there. You see, it's it's that you you don't dismiss them. You don't dismiss their no. fears. You value their opinions. They may seem like very strange opinions, but within there is something that you can explore and something you can do something about. And it's that that takes a certain amount of expertise and finesse and willingness, maybe not to just barge in with the answer because it's it's not going to help them. It might make you feel as if you've done the right thing, but sometimes there were enormous compromises, uh, which I had to, sometimes I had to judge, well, why have you said he can do this and he can't do that? And sometimes you you retrospectively make up a reason why, that, you know, the rationale comes later, because you, you just know that, you know, listening to what they're saying, this will work for them, it will keep them safe. How I justify it to everybody else is another story. And that's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because, you know, people often want that this is the rule, this is the black and white. Yeah. But actually, sometimes you do have to flex things for one group. Yeah. Whereas over here you can say that's what we're going to need to yeah. do, and, yeah. and we did it in our clinical practice. That obviously I won't talk about. Yeah. yeah. But you know, being flexible does reap rewards because then people will recognise that you're being flexible, <laughs> and therefore more likely to respond in a positive. You have to be flexible, but not totally inconsistent. No, not not, com- yeah. not completely. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's um, some, and sometimes I had to write reports full of terminology and language um, which they didn't understand which actually seemed to work quite well for some of the hierarchy because the the more uh, incomprehensible it was the more impressive it was um, so you know there were there were times where you had to change so you're talking to a plumber one minute about is this really important we have the tap facing this way because you know it makes a noise or something and then you're talking to somebody else a producer or somebody else who says you know you've got to tell me why this is happening it's um so you you that flexibility comes in there your the way you respond to people is different but it's, it comes back to the basic practices of infection control the principles 
of transmission mm. and prevention. It's not anything. I always said, as we used to say to them, it's not rocket science. And they said, well, why are we paying you so much then? <laughs> but, um, but it was relatively simple when you, when you drill down. Mm. Well, I think we've all written a report that's set on a, uh, a desk or <laughs> got a bit dusty or never been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was fascinating talking to you. Uh, and listening yeah. to this and actually hearing both of you obviously sitting here yeah. listening, observing you two and, and watching how you interact we've clearly worked together beautifully we had a lot of discussions it was really good fun I have to say yeah. one of the best experiences I've had mm. Mm. Well, we, we, we both enjoy what we do mm. and yeah. we um, but he used to say that he stole my jokes but I haven't heard any of his recently so I can't steal his at the moment <laughs> he hasn't got any new ones no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm heavily into recycling and sustainability now <laughs> On that bombshell. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much. Thank yeah, you. Thanks time. very really much. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. And uh, Brett Misher at the IPS conference with Martin. And we've got, we've bumped into, or actually we've bumped into you a few times, Professor Jean-Yves Maliard. Uh, Jean-Yves, welcome. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you very much, Brett. Had to walk up the stairs to join us here yeah. at, the, <laughs> at the conference. <laughs> Look, um, you gave a fascinating talk this morning. Uh, as part of uh, the Tina Bradley lecture and um, one of the things that you touched on were dry surface biofilms why do we need to be concerned about dry surface biofilms? Can I, can I just bob in? I, I actually don't think people believe it at the moment because I heard a very eminent microbiologist at the HIST meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago saying do they really exist? I'm not sure I believe they do So, Yeah, yeah I mean we, uh, it, it's quite a uh, um, I guess a, a new science, and, and uh, I came interested uh, into that when I bumped into Karen Vickery, who yeah. was the first one who reported dry surface mm-hmm. biofilms, and she, she reported them actually on on, uh, on breast implants, uh, and then looking oh, okay. in, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and, a, um, and then look in the environment, also find those aggregates of microorganisms. Um, but what's so specific about them is they've got the characteristic of a biofilm. Um, because they're producing quite a lot of exopolysaccharide around them. Uh, and, and what's fascinating about that is, is um, they're there. They're a bit random, so it's a bit like a, a needle in a headstock when you want when, when to look at, at those on, on surfaces. They're a bit random, uh, but they're suddenly there, and they're, they're very complex. Yeah. Uh, they contain multi-species. Uh, and I, I, I understood some people said, oh, it's just dry microorganisms on surfaces are just posited and, and do nothing. Well, there are no such things, you know. Uh, yeah. They are actually, yes, probably embedded in fermate, but they are, uh, they are there and, and they, they can grow. Uh, when you've got wet phase, dry phase, um, they, they will develop and, and stay there. And, um, and with our work, uh, we, we actually show that most of the surfaces we sample in hospitals uh, we find those dry surface biofilms. So not only we find them, a complex species, uh, but we uh, we also can see them uh, with electron microscopy. Mm-hmm. So we we know they're there. Um, Problem for the average hospital is we don't have an electron microscope. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> if you go sampling using conventional methods, you don't grow it either, do you? And and so that's that's the problem. So how you know? So therefore, people only believe what they can see. Yes, that's absolutely right. Well, like most burdened surfaces, you know. Yeah. We had that argument before about the role of surfaces in transmitting microorganisms. Yeah. People didn't believe that for mm. a long time. So yeah, surface infections or cleaning right. doesn't matter. So I think it's the same with the dry surface biofilms. You you will not see them. And when they're really dry on surfaces, 
uh, wet swabbing doesn't work. You can't pick them up. Um, and we've seen that many times. We've tried that with contact plate as well. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But when they're being disturbed, so after a cleaning or even immediately after disinfection, when you disturb them, then you're starting to transfer them. They are trans- transferable. And, and we've done that with direct contact uh, or via the gloves. Uh, different type of that's gloves. right Greg Riley's work and yeah, some yes. of Karen Rickley's work showed that you can actually pick things up on gloves and then move absolutely. them around absolutely we've, we've done exactly the same uh, and we show that it's actually highly trans, uh, transferable but when they are being disturbed Okay. Uh, and so the, the questions we have at the moment is cleaning on, on disinfection on the surface is a problem then mm-hmm. uh, because again well if you disturb this dry surface by FM so you're going to, to make the matter worse yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but it's why I was taking, uh, saying today that well, not necessarily, but you need to, to be aware of that and to have products that works. And so far, all the products we tested, you need to have a, um, a, a mechanical, physical removal as well as a, an antimicrobial activity, and that's worked the best. So, mm. uh, uh, I mean, some slides I show some, some quack-based product. We're working mm. pretty well. Mm. Uh, again, dry surface base, as well as parastic acid. But also what I say, uh, it's all the debate again about what is a, a safe surface. You know? uh, nobody can answer that. Mm. But I, uh, for me, I mean, what we're looking at it is not only reducing microorganisms on surfaces, and I know all the guidelines say to a safe level, but I'd, I go further than that because it's reducing the number of microorganisms on surface, but then you cannot transfer microorganisms from that surface to other surfaces after cleaning or disinfection, and that's a safe product for me. Mm. Yeah, so okay. your surface now is might still have microorganisms, but they're not transferable. Mm. Uh, they're, or the number is so low, they're not transferable. Mm. And for me, that's a safe surface. So if you wanted to try and find dry surface biofilms, you mentioned just after cleaning, a good time to do it. So if you're going to go... It depends on the agent you clean with, though. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly would like to do that because... If your um, goal was to find them, right? So if, you, yeah. if it wasn't part of, I want to test it after you've cleaned with an appropriate product. But if you just wanted to go and find to see if you've got these... On your on your de- nursing station desk, uh, what would be the best way to do it? Well, I think immediately after cleaning on on, on, the, on disinfections. Uh, on the Sunday, we certainly would like to try that in the UK. So you follow mm-hmm. the cleaning team at six o'clock in the morning or whatever, mm-hmm. five or six mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning. Immediately, when the surface is still disturbed and wet, swab mm-hmm. that surface mm-hmm. uh, and, and see what we find. On, on I guess uh, we will find. Uh, Does it have to have a disinfectant? In terms of in terms of like trying to find the biofilm, does no, it help to try and disrupt it to I, find I, it? I think it, it's uh, it will work better with detergent. Uh, yeah, okay. On the mixed detergent disinfectant because of surfactants, so you will mm. disturb the, the surface, but the, the physical mechanical. Mm. So if you only brush the surface very lightly with no mm. force whatsoever, mm. you won't see probably anything. Yeah, okay. But if you're doing the, apply the normal techniques for mm. surface disinfection, then you should be able to start seeing mm. something. I mean, you made a good point as well about friction being needed to physically remove things as part of the cleaning and decontamination, and that's why possibly using hydrogen peroxide vapour isn't, if you don't clean well to start with, isn't going to be effective because it may not penetrate the glycolytic. But possibly UV does. Is that is that your feeling? Because yeah, I mean, uh, but my feeling with, with UV is it, it might it will reduce the number of of uh, viable bacteria and dry surface biofilms, but not all of them. Uh, we haven't tried UV. Uh, that's something that's only mm. we want to do. A number of companies want to try the UV on the dry surface biofilm. Fantastic! So we'll have some data on that. Mm. Um, but uh, again, we, you know, it, it's always fascinating uh, understanding or discovering new things about bacteria. We, th- we thought they could not survive high level disinfection, very aggressive oxidizing agent, 
they can. Yeah. Um, so with UV, you're thinking, well, do they have any damage repair possibility uh, against UV radiations and, and so on? I mean, those those trisphase biofilm, they're desiccated, desiccated microorganisms, so they are they will have a lower water content. So you're thinking, is the UV is going to work as well? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're only starting to find with some microorganism where they've got also repair mechanisms uh, to palliate some damage caused to, uh, um, uh, to, to the DNA as well. Uh-huh. Like Enterobacter uh, okay. is one of them. Um, uh, to some extent, they can. So uh, we're just mm-hmm. exploring it. So as I said, it's quite a new field of research. Um, and there's still so many things to do and to understand, mm. and especially in on, on, on terms of, of bioinformation. You know, how do they get on the surface? Mm. I mean, certainly they're deposited through formites, uh, hands, and so on, and then they're able to grow on, on yeah. the stem. It would be really fascinating. Like, what are the factors that uh, influence that growth? You know, it, does it does it is it a combination of X, Y, and Z? Does it have to be in a certain way, or is it is it going to be more humidity or less humidity? Is, you know, I might be. Fascinating to know what is the cause, initial cause of them. But my feeling is, is you have to have humidity. Uh, mm. You have to have some, some water at some stage on the surface. So imagine mm. that you're, you clean the surface and you're at one point they're going to get wet or you put some liquid on the surface, like your cup of tea or whatever. Mm. You're going to wet the surface at one point. And I think for the, the bacteria to thrive and to grow, then they, they will need some humidity at some stage, definitely. Mm. Um, mm. But again, the hospital we're sampling, the old hospitals, you know, they've been there for a very long time. Yeah. And they've got quite, even if the surface look absolutely clean, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of grime on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there any potential for coming up with a system that would enable somebody working in the average hospital to visualise a biofilm? Because I have this thing about, if you go to the dentist and they say, your kids aren't cleaning your teeth very well, yeah. use a disclosing tablet and it shows up all the mm-hmm. biofilm. I know that's huge amounts. Yeah. But is there any potential for something like that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that that's the way forward, especially for training and so on. The problem mm. we have is with some, some dye we could use is the permanent dyes. <laughs> you would stay no, the okay. surface forever. <laughs> uh, okay. So it's trying to find the a solution. The hospital might be blue. Yeah. 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 So you're trying to find a solution that yeah. actually um, that, that is not permanent. So you're, okay. you, you can remove it. I mean, otherwise it's like physical. I mean, we're working yeah. with a Roman spectroscopy for the moments and, and good, good promising mm. uh, as well. So you've got a little gun, you put that on. I tell you, it's not only what you, if you've got dry surface biofilm, but what species you've got as well. well okay. So they should be able to do that as well. But it's, it's quite early days, but Hopefully, okay. in the next, next couple of years, we'll have a bit more solutions to offer about purely training. Now, I know we like to keep these things short, but there, there is, I've got time for one more question. Yeah, because we have. Go on. Um, now, when you talk today, someone asked a question about... Actually, no, I wouldn't ask a question. You, you raised a really interesting point, which is close to my heart, too, about claims about residual effect. Um, what would you... Because we could talk about this, perhaps, as a separate podcast, but is there is there... What would you like to see, if someone's going to make a claim about residual effect, what would you like to see if you were evaluating that, you know, if you're in someone in the hospital going, I'm going to think about this as a residual claim, what should they be looking for to go, is this legitimate, is this, what are they considered in that, what, you know. Yeah, I mean, there is yeah. a pre-standard at the moment uh, in, in Europe that uh, to investigate residual activity, they're looking at the long-term efficacy of that product on surfaces following different abrasions 
wet and dry abrasions. Uh, so that's a starting point. Mm. Uh, it is a bit of a, of a tough test, but it's a bit like a capacity test where uh, every so often you add more bugs on the surface. I was going to say, how does it affect real life? Because you know, in real life, you're exactly. going to clean it, then you're going to have people doing stuff, yeah, which, which is just going to contaminate. Yeah, yeah. And, and that test yeah. is is, yeah. is reproducing that. But right. um, uh, it is okay. Uh, mm. I'm sure it can be improved, like any yeah. test. Yeah. Uh, the last challenge is quite a large, large number of microorganisms mm. after 24 hours. And then it shows that the surface is working still active or, or not. Mm. Uh, mm. Uh, but, however, my, 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 uh, my, my issue is with that is not necessarily the, the long-term efficacy or the result claim is you've got my, uh, antimicrobial on surfaces, uh, you've got loads of different microorganisms potentially on the surfaces, is what the impact of that in selecting for microorganisms that are less susceptible to that active on the surface. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think all those residual activity is standard on claim. I'm, I'm not against it, but mm -hmm. it's only part of the test that needs to be done. I think company should really also look at the impact of having such a low concentration of surfaces on selection for mm -hmm. AMR. Mm -hmm. okay. And that's really important in, in our day and age, isn't it? It's, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd like to come back to this topic actually one day because I yeah. think we need to explore this a bit more. Yeah. I've, and I've seen companies make some extraordinary claims about weeks of, oh, yeah. of activity. So, and, and, I mean, there's another thing as well. I mean, at the moment, there's a lot of work, at least in Europe, on antimicrobial surfaces, which is mm. a completely different topic. But uh, it, there's going to be a very fine line between residual activity for a period of time and then what's claimed as antimicrobial surfaces. Mm. Uh, at the moment, there's not much definition between the two, but if yeah. your residual activity is more than 24 hours, is that an antimicrobial surface at the end of the day? So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. so there is there is uh, some debate at the moment, and, and I think uh, yeah. we'll see some movement in the next year as to some definition as to what is what. Right, well, thank you very much, Johnny, and uh, thank you very much for doing it in a French accent. Like <laughs> I know it was a struggle for you. My but pleasure, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> I still remember that talk. Yes. 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 Next time yes. you can yeah. do it in Australia. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks Definitely. very much for joining us, anyway. I really appreciate it. Really thank you. Thank you. Thank you.